and welcome to episode 16 of Hawk Talk, an HTA podcast. I'm Alex Jenkins, your host. And today we are concentrating on the Windsor Framework and the Northern Ireland Plant Health Labelling Scheme. And I've got four very special guests who I'm going to ask to introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Sally Cullimore. I work for the Horticultural Trades Association. I'm the technical policy manager here at the HTA. Um, which involves basically taking issues that our members face or our sector and presenting them to government, hopefully with some solutions and working through the details and telling our members how it actually works. Hello, I'm Gavin Roberts. I'm uh, working with uh, Sally and the team at the HTA um, on sort of trying to make sense of Brexit and, and other customs issues. I work with lots of importers and exporters Um and a number of trade associations on customs matters. Hello, I'm Stuart Tickner from, from the Nurseries. We are a wholesale uh, cash and carry based in Kent, and I'm the Nursery Production and Bioscooter Manager. And I'm Malcolm Catlin. I'm self-employed, work for a number of companies, but most relevantly here, one in Lincolnshire that supplies supermarket and online retailers with plants um, and uh, who are HTA members. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you all very much for agreeing to be part of our podcast today. So we're going to kick off with a large open question and see how we get on with this. And what is the Windsor Framework? What are we talking about here today? Do you want me to go first on this one? Go for it, Sally. Okay. So the Windsor Framework is a renegotiation, basically, of the Northern Ireland Protocol, which um, aims to help people trade into Northern Ireland from Great Britain in goods. Um, we know that as part of Brexit um, that Northern Ireland has been treated a little bit differently um, because of the fact that Northern Ireland has a land border with the EU, um, with the south of Ireland. Um, and to avoid a hard border that um, that would not uh, sit well with uh, with Ireland, um, a negotiation was made called the Northern Ireland Protocol, and that was aimed to stop that hard border happening. What we found as traders, though, is that actually um, there is a border. It's a bit of a paperwork border as well as a slight physical border um, at ports across the Irish Sea. And um, uh, the UK had taken several measures about trying to get goods, mainly food and plants and agri-food stuff, into Northern Ireland from Great Britain without the need um, for a border. However, it became increasingly difficult to trade into Northern Ireland, and I'm sure we'll touch on that later about those difficulties. Um, the Windsor Framework has been designed as a new way of getting agri-food goods into retail and to Northern Ireland consumers. And those agri-food goods include plants. Um, and in this case, we're generally gonna talk about plants for planting. So uh, we'll see how that goes later um, as to whether it's actually a working uh, um, framework or not. Um, but this framework came into being on the 1st of October. So just recently and uh, one of the items within the framework is a Northern Ireland plant health label scheme, um, which aims to help businesses in GB and Northern Ireland trade in plants without the need for a phytosanitary certificate. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, now we've had that fantastic explanation, what, what effect does that have on horticulture? 
So the main thing is that uh, obviously we have a new scheme, as, as uh, Sally has described, the Northern Ireland Plant Health Label Scheme, or NIFL, as it's normally known, um, is, is a new scheme. Uh, it's probably worth saying at this stage that it caught most of us um, on the hop, really. It's only been in the last couple of months or so that there's really been any kind of awareness uh, as to what the practical requirements uh, are. But the main uh, two parts to it are that you have to register to use the scheme. To do that, you have to be a registered operator yourself and the premises to which the goods are being sent in Northern Ireland also have to be registered with the ministry, with Daira there in Northern Ireland. And then there is a new pre-notification process um, using a CHED PP through the Traces NT scheme um, to tell Daira what is coming through. So you could say it's not that complex, but what has made it complex really is uh, firstly, in my opinion, anyway, the very short notice that we've had. And also the thing that we keep finding with, with all of these things, um, the fact that our trade is so diverse, not just the type of product that we're trading, but also the kinds of supply chains, the routes through which different people are sending their goods, what kind of distribution network there is set up. And, and that to me is what makes it more complicated than anything and, and it's not the first time that we've that we've seen that um, but that that in essence is what it is you've got to register um, you have end up with a label which is similar to but not quite the same as a plant passport label um, and then you have to go through this variation on a, a pre-notification process uh, to tell them what is arriving in Northern Ireland. I think it's just worth adding in there as well as part of the requirements to go to get this label you have to go through a, a summer growing inspection so there's a reason why those growing season inspections are required and it's because northern ireland is still within the eu plant health area and what that means is that any plants trees seeds bulbs still have to comply with eu plant health rules so the nifl through its process of the business being authorised, the label being attached, attests to the fact that those plants and trees still comply with e the EU plant health rules. And this is because we didn't negotiate, we as in the UK did not step forward and negotiate an EU plant health agreement. And I know that I've talked about this so many times to so many people, this is why we have this, this requirement. You as businesses, I say you, I mean Stuart and, and Malcolm, are attesting to the fact that those plants have been grown according to EU plant health rules. And that also means, in addition, that there are still key species of trees and plants that will remain prohibited um, for sending to Northern Ireland and that in, because it's deemed as exporting to the EU. So, um, I'm just going to get a tad political here because when the PM, uh, the PM did a speech announcing the Windsor framework in February um, this year, seems a very long time ago, and I utterly agree with Malcolm's point that the detail has been very late in coming. So bear in mind, this speech was in February, and, and I quote him, 
the same quintessentially British products like trees, plants and seed potatoes will once again be available in Northern Ireland garden centres. But when we reviewed that detail, we realised that statement does not reflect the reality our members will experience, nor what Northern Ireland consumers will see. Um, there are several quite substantial issues really that, that remain unresolved and that, that prohibited list is one of them. The, the, the need to comply with EU plant health rules is another. And quite frankly, um, and I'm going to be maybe a bit controversial here, um, the, the NIFL only removes the need for an official to actually inspect your plants and trees. You've still got to comply with everything else, including all the pre-notifications that's needed. So that's the what we call the SPS part of it, the plant health part of it. Um, it's still quite onerous and still requires quite a lot of detail. And I'm sure Gavin um, or one of the others would be able to explain what's still needed from a commercial data point of view, um, which is customs data, but not customs data, um, because there's still another scheme as well that you have to be a part of, which I think is called you, Kims, but I'm sure someone else knows more about that than me. <laughs> It, yeah, some of, the, some of the plants that, uh, that Sally mentioned are prohibited, you know, for those who, who aren't aren't sure, it's, it's, it's plants like citrus, olives, sorbus, uh, fire by hosts. So yeah, there is still quite a, a list of plants that you are going to, you're not going to be able to send to Northern Ireland, full stop. And just for our listeners' benefit, what why are they on that list? It's obviously for the pest diseases they carry. Um, obviously, citrus-wise, we, we don't have a citrus uh growing in the UK, but they do in they do in Europe. So obviously you don't want to start moving those those pests and diseases across to Europe. Um, and as part of the as part of the agreement for the Windsor Windsor framework was that there was to be more import checks on the GB side. Um, which obviously had is going to have its own knock-on effect for us importing. We're going to have more costs for inspections, more costs for sampling, there's going to be longer times waiting for inspections. Plants do get samples, then there can be longer waiting times for samples to come through. So the knock-on effect of the Windsor framework is is felt both sides of the water. Okay. Is is it worth mentioning uh, about the um, UK internal market scheme then that Sally Sally mentioned? Um, Please do. The the uh, the NIFL um, that um, was was. Um, explained uh, in detail there very uh, very interestingly um is one is the main scheme that obviously affects um our sector but there is a couple of other schemes worth mentioning the uk internal market scheme um allows uh, is is allows um virtually all all goods um to uh, move from the uk from gb to northern ireland um, potentially duty free, um, and that can make a difference to to the sort of duties, tulips, hyacinths. You have duty rates of four to eight percent that you would no no longer need to pay, and bulbs and and tubers um, through to cut flowers can be up to ten percent duties. Um, but because these goods are are moving from the uh, the GB to Northern Ireland. They can travel under this green uh, lane uh, for customs purposes under the UK Internal Market Scheme and not pay those duties. Um, 
because they're going to stay in Northern Ireland. If you don't know, they may stay go into Northern Ireland, into Southern Ireland. Um, then you can uh, use the red lane uh, and potentially seek a reimbursement of those goods or use a waiver uh, to not pay those duties. Um, there are a number of options um, depending on where those goods are going to end up. Um, the other the other scheme worth mentioning is the Northern Ireland Retail Movement Scheme, the NERMS or the REMOS as it as it's called, um, which our plants are planting can't use. Um, it, it's it's all about um, moving goods under various simplifications to retailers or or even to where to um, warehouses to 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 a number of um, sectors in Northern Ireland. Um, um, but we can't use it for plants. You can use it for um, uh, cut flowers, for example, um, but not for plants for planting. Or so seeds, or potted oh, herbs, oh, which actually buys a lot of supermarkets a bit of an issue because they've got to have okay. two schemes now um, to just move potted herbs and potted plants, house plants. Used to be able to move it under the old Stamney scheme. I'm sure Malcolm knows a lot about this, um, but now they can't. So now there's a, another scheme being involved, um, which uh, actually doesn't hasn't sat well um, with many retailers I know. And the lateness again, I go back to it all the time. The lateness of the information has not helped at all. Although it is fair to say you don't have to use the NIFL scheme from the first of October. You can still continue to use, move plants under a phytosanitary certificate. However, for retailers, the Stamney scheme has now stopped and they have to use NERMS. Um, and that's brought them a bit of an issue with plants um, because you can't move plants under NERMS and you have to have the NIFL in place. So it's brought the retailers a problem and also our grower members um, because that the, the retailers moving plants are relying on grower members to be authorised to issue an IFL. Um So uh, I'm sure Malcolm um, has has something to say on that one. <laughs> yeah, Stanley for for uh, certainly for moving to people like supermarket retailers was was simple. It was a, a quick fix, if you like, back in 2021, and it and it, and it made life very simple. Um, so ironically, I think for for people who had been using this scheme the current arrangements are actually more complicated rather than less complex than what we had before. But, hey, I guess that's just the uh, political reality of it. And uh, I don't want to veer too far down that road. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I'd, I'd completely forgotten about the UKIMS scheme, the UK Internal Market Scheme. That seems like a lifetime away. That must have been six or eight weeks ago that we applied for that. Um, but as Gavin's explained, that's very much about what procedures you have in place to reassure the authorities that you have a control that your goods will only be going to Northern Ireland and, and, and not into the Republic of Ireland. Um, but um, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here, but the, the, the one thing, of course, that this doesn't help is anybody that's doing online sales um, because um, you are then back to uh, requiring an individual uh, phytosanitary certificate and the reality is that for almost all online retail sales it is just not viable so if you go back to that aspiration about how easy it was going to be for customers in Northern Ireland um, it I guess will protect things like supermarket and garden centre sales 
it will certainly not help online sales in any way. Um, you could always have used the phytosanitary certificate route. Um, you've still got to do that. And with the cost of that, with an individual inspection, the cost of uh, providing that certificate for most online purchases, it's out of all proportion to the order value. So these new arrangements actually don't change anything. They don't make it any easier. And that's the reason why many online retailers will still say in their small print, we're sorry, but we can't ship to Northern Ireland. If you're... If I'm if I've got an auntie in Northern Ireland and I want to send her some seeds, I can because it's a private parcel. There's no restrictions on that. There's no checks um, or anything like that. It's just a private sending of a parcel to Northern Ireland. So I could buy some seeds in GB and send that to my auntie. Um, I don't have an auntie in Northern Ireland, by the way, but <laughs> just for just for the purposes of this. Um, but if I was a business and I was a seed seller and I had a customer in Northern Ireland. I could send those seeds or bulbs or whatever it is, plant material I want to send, but I have to, they, they either, that consumer in Northern Ireland either has to be registered as a professional operator, highly unlikely, um, because you have to be authorised by a DERA for that, or I have to obtain a phytosanitary certificate in GB and um, go through those processes as, as Malcolm explained. While at the moment, the issuing of phytosanitary certificates in GB for plant material going to Northern Ireland is free of charge under a scheme called the Movement Assistance Scheme. If you're a business, you can get it for free. That scheme is due to end at the end of this year. Now, there are rumours that it will be extended. Obviously, we have to ask the EU if that's OK. Um, I'm guessing. <laughs> Um, but it's still a temporary scheme. So at some point in the future, there will come a time when you really won't be able to get a phytosanitary certificate. Um, or you will, but you've got to pay a lot of money for it. And that doesn't make sending a few packets of seeds, bulbs and, uh, and plug plants over to consumers in Northern Ireland. It's just not commercially viable. I, I just wonder on the, if you want to send something across, you've got to send it to a, a professional operator. Uh, they then got to send it on to your, your customer. I'm just wondering, there's going to be a lot of potential to lose the traceability side of things on that. Okay, you don't have to trace it to the end user, but surely if you're sending it to a professional operator, there needs to be traceability there, and then they need to know where they're sending it to. Um, I just think it, it opens up a few questions, which I don't think can be answered particularly easily. Um, also, on, on, the, on, the, on our side of that is, You've got the approval to issue the Northern Ireland label. We do, we have to do our own pre-export checks, uh, as far as I understand it. And then our local inspector would then just yearly check our paperwork in order for us to make sure we've got the proper pre-export checks done correctly. I just feel if they've not been done correctly at the beginning, for some, um, some reason, there's going to be no tracing it to where the plants have ended up. I think it's just a little bit risky in my eyes. I don't know what people's thoughts on that, but. But then Stuart, we've GB based products that have been grown in GB um, for a length of time. That's another issue I'd like to talk about later. Um, I've never represented a true risk to the island of Ireland. Um, the island of Ireland is a single epidemiological area. Um, and GB is very close in plant health 
um, uh, issues. Um, so, you know, we go back to pre-Brexit times when we, when there was free trade um, and no need for phytos. We had a nice little plant passporting system that uh, guaranteed um, competency and traceability. Um, it does beg the question, could we not re-implement that for Northern Ireland or maybe even the island of Ireland? It's a bigger question. Obviously, there's political issues involved, but it would certainly make life a lot easier. And it's, we might even see a resumption of trade. Well, that was going to be my next question, actually. What what effect is all this having on trade? Because the main purpose, as mentioned there, was accountability and traceability to keep it all safe. This this is meant to ease the trade. This is making it more complicated. So what effect is this actually having on trade between UK and, and Northern Ireland? We recently ran a poll in one of our trade and policy surgeries um, asking about Northern Ireland trade. So about 50% of our members at some point traded into Northern Ireland. So GB-based businesses trading into Northern Ireland or Northern Ireland-based businesses or locations receiving GB-grown products. Um, of that 50%, 43% of that of those people, ha trade has reduced significantly as a result of the Northern Ireland Protocol since the 1st of January 2021. So significantly to me, it doesn't, doesn't put a figure on it, but significantly means significant. Um, in some cases, zero um, and 4% reduced somewhat. Funnily enough, absolutely nobody has said it has been somewhat better or significantly better. Um, so therefore, it's worse than it was. And then we asked a question, will the NIFL scheme um, Will you be using it? Will it make it uh, better or worse? Um, and we had about, let's see, a lot of people undecided. This was taken two weeks ago. 30% of those people were undecided. They didn't have enough information. So that speaks to the lateness of information again. Um, and a very few percentage, I think about 12%, will be using the NIFL scheme. Um, and the 6% the of those said it will be no cheaper. It's equally as complex as what we saw in Northern Ireland. So, um, you know, there's very few businesses in that uh, in that start actually retaking up business in Northern Ireland. So um, uh, does it help? Probably not. <laughs> will we have to do it? Yes, we will. I think from, uh, from my point of view, for the, the NIFL scheme, I, I signed up to it. Uh, because it, the information came out so late um, and we are, uh, a lot of our stuff is outside, so it's, it's, we do have a one summer inspection a year. I signed up to it before it was too late. Uh, we're doing a lot more commercial work and the clients potentially have a lot more work in Northern Ireland. Um, so I I went and got the scheme so we, we can still supply to our commercial customers. They can still come to a trusted supplier. Um, but it, the, the lateness of it is is hard. I think it's going to knock a few few customers out for a while. They're going to have to stick to the phytos. I think the NIFL scheme is is great for the big fruit and veg suppliers. I think it works perfectly for them. They can they can ship back and forth quite happily. I, I don't think it works so well for ornamentals. Um, I think once again, ornamental industry has been has been kicked down a part of um priority list. I don't know if I can say that or not, but um, I think it's uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be tricky for the mentors. 
from from where I sit, it's certainly not driving any more trade. Um, we've we've done it because we have to do it as part of the supply to supermarket retailers. I think it will be a, a neutral effect. It doesn't open up any additional possibilities for us. Um, interestingly, Sally, they're talking about the island of Ireland, though one of the biggest lasting impacts for us has been the trade that we uh, do with retailers, stores in the Republic of Ireland, which used to be very easy. We're all packed at our site in GB and sent over straight to Republic of Ireland. And since 1st of January 2021, we've not been able to do that. Um, this is product that we've had to have packed uh, in Holland um, and either sent direct by sea from Holland to Republic of Ireland or via a land bridge route. And it's a great shame. It's an integral part of, of the trade that we do. It's our nearest trading partner outside of the UK. Um, but the reality is that it's very, very hard in having supply of plants in almost any growing medium to send direct to those stores. That's, that's added a lot of cost and undoubtedly diminishes trade. I know that's outside of the scope of the Windsor framework, but just as we're talking about the concept of the island of Ireland and what the real risks are, it's a great shame that there isn't a scheme where you could say, okay, we're sending it to Northern Ireland and the uh, to Republic of Ireland, but we warrant that it won't be going outside of that island. If we could do that, then happy days. But I don't see any realistic prospect of that at the moment. Um, I, I work with uh, a number of other sectors, um, a, a number of food sectors, pet food sector supplying, um, Northern Ireland and, and and what we're seeing across the board is is, is sort of similar uh, issues, particularly for smaller shipments that would be in groupage, um, uh, grouped together with with other su small suppliers, um, goods going to Northern Ireland. Freight agents are moving, don't want really to have those sort of shipments, and so you know there's there's becoming less choice. There's going to be less choice for the people of Northern Ireland. Um, and I just really open that to the to the other um, members of this of this podcast. Really, I mean, it really does look like Northern Ireland consumers are going to going to um, miss out here. Certainly on the food side, it looks like on the plant side. I'd just like to to hear your thoughts about that, if that's okay. That's certainly our experience so far with information we're getting back from members. Um, so when we first exited the EU. Uh, about six months in, we asked, we, we did a, a very big survey of our members about what the effects have been, what the costs have been, etc. Um, and Northern Ireland was a part of that. And uh, we we um, we asked people what was happening in trade, you know, um, where were Northern Irish garden centres and consumers getting their plants from? So a little bit of the trade went south of the border to growers in the south rather than from GB. But a lot, and it's quite ironic this is, a lot of material is now sourced directly from the continent and it transits across GB um, uh, and then ends up in Northern Ireland. So now there's new supply lines, um, there's new suppliers into, into Northern Ireland. Um, 
and this is the reason why we won't really see a resumption of trade GB to Northern Ireland because there's new supply lines. It might be a bit more expensive or take a bit longer um, to get products in, but GB suppliers um, have been replaced basically and they're gonna have to work darn hard to actually get um, resume that, 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 that trade to get back into the market. Um, and it's a shame because those supply lines have been held for many years. Um, you know, there's been really good supplier customer relationships going on there um, that are now lost. Um, so whether the, whether we need a miracle, I'm not sure. Um, an EU plant health area agreement will be a little miracle um, and we'll, we'll still continue to work towards that. But it's a good point Malcolm makes about the island of Ireland, whether there's something in the future for that with a, a bilateral arrangement for the island or something between between the UK and Ireland. I don't know. The will's not there politically, um, but certainly the will would be there for businesses. Is it the case that this is just the way it is at the moment? Do we see it getting any better? Or from what we've seen, do we think this is just going to be the way it is until we get that miracle that Sally mentions? I think I think that is right. We definitely need a miracle. Uh, I think we need something. I, it's at the moment. This, this, this week, this is all. I think the government are throwing in so many changes and new legislations each week. It feels like that as growers, importers, exporters, we're having to try and keep up with the ever-changing legislation. Uh, whether it's the in the framework, whether it's the introduction of BCPs, the control points. Uh, I, I fear for me that there could potentially be a new government um, coming in soon. So obviously they're going to want to hold it, put their stamp on it. So yeah, I potentially see it changing personally. Um, for the better, we won't know until it happens. <laughs> um, I think going back to what Sally mentioned earlier is, is we're going through these headaches and trying to work out how to keep keep it all legal, how we're going to move plants around. But the only people who are going to lose out on this is the end user. They're just going to be such a short supply for them at the end of the day. And it's not just Northern Ireland, it's going to go for the UK as well. If we're bringing in um, restrictions on importing because of peat ban, for instance, or anything, uh, Brexit with the import of BCPs, European supplies aren't, just aren't going to supply to us anymore. It's going to be too much paperwork, too much hassle, they just won't bother. Um, they've got the Scandinavian market, which is just is stronger for them, um, for instance. So I think we just need to look, yeah, a big picture of how we're doing things and how we're going to bring stock in. Otherwise, the people, the people are going to lose out are the end user and then horticultural trade as is, is a whole eventually. It certainly is the case that there has been so much happening and this whole issue around the ending of um, places of destination and the move to border control points and how quickly or otherwise it's taking to get new control points authorised and how long it will take to progress the authorised operator status. Um, it it's just feels exactly as Stuart said, it's just one headache after another. We're just trying to run to catch up to understand what the proposals are, um, rather than sort of get where we are with the solution and then work on it. Uh, to a goal that you know we're we're all running about trying to understand what's going on really most of the yeah. time. And don't mention the p word. <laughs> don't mention the p word. I no. think Stuart's mentioned it already. But oh, is he? That's <laughs> yeah. uh, p for plants, of course. That's what you yeah. mean, isn't it, Malcolm? Pete. Oh, he no. said it. <laughs> Part of it is the the government 
chuck all these changes, all these new legislations at us. Um, we've got to adapt, change our processes pretty much overnight to, to meet them. I know I pace Jay doing some fantastic work on our behalf of our lobbying and, and fighting our corner for us. But I would just like the government to come to us and say, right, how can we help? How can we change it? You do the work. You know how it works. How do we change it? Rather than, like Sally said, just keep chucking legislation at us. And we're trying to run to keep our head above water and trying to keep up with the changes. Um, there's been so much of it since Brexit that we just need to find that steady rhythm of bringing changes slowly and actually asking us how it affects us and how, how we can change it ourselves rather than just being dictated to. Well, that very nicely, as if by magic and planned, which it wasn't, listeners, leads me into my next question, which was going to be, what is your ask of the government? If you could ask them to do something to change something, what would it be? Make their mind up and stick to a plan. (laughs) A bit blunt, but I am... Yeah, uh, the, the, okay, it's a slightly different topic, but the BCP's control points, for instance, it's been pushed back five times now, I believe it is. Five um, times, yeah. We're on the ground, we're trying to make it happen. We're trying to set processes in our business so we can keep the legislation, put changes in. It's, I know for, for us at Provender, we are, at the moment, I do the biosecurity myself. I'm desperate to train other people, but it's, the legislation has been changed, pushed back constantly. I can't do that because um, it'd, be, it'd be constantly changing all the time. Um, so the government just need to set a plan, stick to it, and uh, and let us do what we're, we're, we're good at and bring plants in. I totally echo that. I think all of us who, who class ourselves as professionals in this industry want to stick to the rules. We're serious about plant health. Um, don't make it a test. Don't make it a hurdle that you've got to get over. Please don't go through this process ever again of springing something at the last minute. Plan it better, communicate it clearly, make it easy to access the information. And I have to say, and I'm not just saying this because Sally's uh, in, in this meeting, but um, if it wasn't for the briefing that we get from the HTA, I think we really, really would have struggled because you're always playing catch up if you're trying to get your information through gov.uk or the plant health portal. The latter has got better, I think, but you know it's still not that immediate source of information that we get from the HTA. Yeah, I second that. The, the, the surgeries, sadly, and the team are, are fantastic. I am, um, and I've my Person, I'm going to the control point status and I do bug Sally on a near on weekly basis. What if, or how do you, uh, sort of questions and uh, sometimes kind of drop the question and run away again. But yeah, no, it's massive thanks to the HGA for that, for the information, but it's, um, it's hard to keep up with changes. I'll pay you guys later. Thanks very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> but a great reason to be a member of the HTA. Another plug. <laughs> um, and, and if I may say what what we've always said is we'd like to go back to where we were before, where we still had biosecurity processes in place. Pre-Brexit, we were biosecure. We have excellent businesses that are fully committed to, to trading in a biosecure manner, to being compliant. Um, there is, we still had the option to have national measures. So if something external to the UK threatened um, our our economy or our environment, we could put in national measures to combat those pests. 
um, and we had full traceability and competency under a plant passporting scheme. So there's no reason not to go back to that, um, in my opinion. The trouble is then, if we if we then go back to that, saying I don't know, three four years time, we've done another flip flop, um, and businesses then have to scrap everything that they've done and go back to something that we did before. So you know, it sounds ideal, but is it really? You know, it's difficult to say I want this one thing. So the one thing I do want is probably echoing um, Stuart's sentiments entirely and Malcolm's is stick to something, work to it, give us time to adjust and plan um, and recognise the horticulture sector for the great sector it is, for the massive trading um, volume that we actually do with the EU and make sure that those processes in place don't impact our sector too much because at the moment a lot of it feels like a paperwork box ticking exercise to be honest um we've got to have at the core biosecurity um that that is really everything that matters and i think we can achieve it without yeah without I, that, isn't it? I think we're like so we're doing all that stuff before we're still biosecure we're still checking the plants we're still very keen and and protect the biosecure for the country all it's doing now is it's just costing us more because we're having to do more checks, what have been checked already, or supposed to have been checked already, should I say. So we're doing the same thing now, we just just cost us more. And then long term, that just costs the end, the end user more. Uh, unfortunately, it's just, just, just more money going out. Um, but the, we are biosecure, we are, we are still protecting our plants. I think, I think I'd, I'd add as well as, a, as a, on my wish list, um, the various government departments to talk to each other more as well. We've had a number of cases recently um, where we had changes in tariff codes and um, that customs had implemented and they hadn't told the IPAFs team as far as we could see and making um, declarations very hard. And also with this whole um, uh, trusted trader program and um, the, the, the control point uh, development uh, that border force and um, customs and uh, and 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 defra um, and the various other organizations are getting involved in they again we've you know had to drag them to meetings together really to um to get them to uh, to, to work together because they need to to work together to give us clear messages uh, on what they want um so if I could add that as another sort of wish on my wish list, perhaps. Yeah, I think it would be an early Christmas miracle if you can get, if you can get customs and Defra to actually talk to each other. Um, <laughs> and CITES, oh, don't forget CITES. Oh, <laughs> don't mention CITES. The C word. I mean, it does happen when, you know, there's some, some magic of play. Uh, so there's, there's, there's lots of Christmas miracles, Sally, that we're, <laughs> the HTA's got on its list. I hope you're all on Father Christmas's good list this year because your uh, your lists are quite long. Um, yeah. I, I, I uh, it found it interesting in, in recent weeks that some of the uh, people from uh, the, the, the various ministries have been on the face of it, very, very helpful in making themselves available for weekly meetings and stuff like that. And that is great. We just need to do that earlier in the process because it's been a, a question of us presenting the questions and they have a chat about it and say, we'll get back to you on that. And by next week, they've got the answers. But you feel 
if we could have done that three months earlier and had those meetings and fleshed all that out before we made the announcements, it would just have made life so much easier. I think they're sometimes unaware of the length of time it takes to change processes in a business. They can't, we can't change processes overnight like they change legislation, sadly. Um, yes. We get communicated to the whole business, clients, suppliers. We've got to get, you know, a lot of European suppliers come to us asking us what the new changes are, how does it affect them? Yep. So, like I say, like Malcolm said, planning it three months ahead is that much easier than trying to do it overnight. And, and labeling as well, the you know, the costs and the difficulty of getting labels together um, in time again, you know, it, it takes months, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's Absolutely. also all the different parties that are involved in the chain. So, yep. you know, as, as part of, the, of this process, it's not just been about us, but it's been about our retailer customers. It's about getting all the hauliers on, on board and making sure that they're okay. And uh, it, it's hard doing that in a few days. Uh, and getting it right. I mean, interestingly, we sent our first consignments out to to arrive on the 1st of October. And we know from the reports we get back that all of that product has gone in okay. Um, but what I haven't heard yet is whether there are any issues. I think we're expecting that there will be leniency in the early days and weeks. But it would be good to know whether we did actually get everything right or whether there are some things that we need to to, to work on so I don't know whether you've had any feedback um, yet Sally but it, it will it will be good to hear whether whether the compliance is is 100% or, or whether there is work to be done none yet Malcolm I'm sure we'll hear <laughs> so early my, days <laughs> <laughs> my final question then to you all is about what um, members traders retailers can do now what 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 should they be doing to make this easier for themselves for the end user obviously talking to the hga to sally and the team because we're here to try and support that communication um, as much as possible and give that information but what else should they be should they be doing i think they need to sit back and look at the processes they they have in place at the moment as it stands now here today could they send stock uh, to Northern Ireland, either for a FITO or the NIFOR scheme? Are they got processes in place for that? Um, I know for me, um, becoming plant healthy was, was good for me because it, it, it aligned all my processes, got everything on paper, because uh, we did a lot of it, but you didn't record it. So it's quite easy for me because I could have it all lined out in front of me. Um, I think they just got to look at the process they have and uh, can they manage it? Correctly. Read the HTA briefing. We have a Windsor framework briefing. We've got pages up on the website. We have trade and policy surgeries. If you're a member, you have access to all of that information and also individuals' expertise as well. So um, like myself and like Gavin. So where we can, we will definitely help. And where we don't know, we know the people to go to to ask. You might not get an instant answer, but you will get an answer. And and, and the other key things are join the schemes. Make sure you you you've joined other the NIFLs and the um, UK Internal Market Scheme. If you haven't, make sure and and get moving with that. If you need some help with that, contact HTA. Uh, I'm sure uh, we're, we're very happy to help. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Ask I for me personally. I read the I read the legislation online. I find a lot easier to learn by asking questions and talking about it. So don't be afraid to ask the questions. 
So to sum up on our discussion today, communication is key. We all need communication with all the governing bodies that are creating these legislations and processes. We want that open dialogue and that we all have the same goal at the end of the day. We want to be able to trade safely um, as as easily as possible, as much as we possibly can uh, for the benefit of the industry and the end consumer. I'd like to say thank you very much to my four very special guests today. Uh, thank you for agreeing to be part of this episode. You've been listening to Hawk Talk episode 16. Take care. Everyone stay safe.